welcome to Kohelet. Uh, this is a podcast brought to you by the elder team of Maricopa Springs Family Church. My name is Gabe, and uh, in this episode, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of adoption. And uh, this is as put forth in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. In particular, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at chapter 37. And before I start, I, I'd like to uh, read uh, from Galatians chapter 4. Uh, verses 4 through 5, and it reads as follows. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I like uh, what uh, J.I. Packer, Packer wrote uh, when he wrote the following uh, concerning adoption. He said that Paul teaches that the gift of justification brings with it the status of sonship by adoption. Justification is the basic blessing on which adoption is founded. Adoption is the crowning blessing to which justification clears the way. He goes on to say that adoption status belongs to all who receive Christ. The adopted status of believers means that in and through Christ, God loves them as uh, he loves his only begotten son and will share with them all the glory that is Christ now. Here and now believers are under God's uh, fatherly care and discipline and are directed, especially by Jesus, to live their whole lives in light of the knowledge that God is their father in heaven. They are to pray to him as such, imitate him as such, and trust him as such thus expressing uh, the, the filial instinct that only the Holy Spirit has implanted in them. Adoption and regeneration accompany each other as two aspects of salvation that Christ brings, but they are to be uh, distinguished. Adoption is the uh, bestowal of a relationship, while regeneration is a transformation of our moral nature. Yet the link is evident. God wants his children, whom he loves, to bear his character and takes action uh, accordingly. Now, a little later uh, in this uh, podcast, I'm going to uh, uh, make a further link of adoption to eternal security, uh, which flows from adoption. So with that, let's do a little review. In regeneration, God gives us new spiritual life within in justification, God gives us right legal standing before him. In adoption, God makes us members of his family. And the biblical teaching of adoption focuses much more on the personal relationships uh, that salvation gives us with God and with his people. So uh, let's go to a definition here that uh, Dr. Grudem uh, uh, cites uh regarding adoption. He says, adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. So then adoption literally means placing as a son, and it, it, it signifies literally a legal child. And, and we see this uh, in Exodus 2.10 uh, when Moses was brought to Pharaoh's uh, daughter and he became her son. Adoption is used uh, about five times in the New Testament. So theologically, adoption is, uh, refers to the act of God that places a person as, as a son in God's family. 
Uh, Galatians uh, 4, 5 uh, speaks of this, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption is a term of uh, position whereby one becomes a son uh, by the new birth. And we see this in John 1, verses 12 through 13. And it reads, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Adoption is one who is redeemed uh, from the bondage of the law. And we see again uh, this in uh, Galatians 4, 1 and 5. And although only a child is by adoption uh, made an adult son, which is fully manifested at the resurrection of the body. Uh, Romans 8.23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, Dr. Grudem asserts uh, that adoption follows conversion and is an outcome of saving faith. The New Testament never connects adoption with regeneration. The idea of adoption actually is opposite to the idea of being born into a family. In Galatians 3.26, Paul says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Again, in John 1.12, we read, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So then it's clear that adoption follows conversion and is God's response to our faith. Now, secondly, Dr. Grudem asserts that adoption is distinct from justification. In regeneration, we are made spiritually alive, able to relate to God in prayer and worship, and uh, able to hear his word uh, with receptive hearts. Now, uh, also God could have uh, given us justification without the privileges of adoption into his family. In other words, regeneration has to do with our spiritual life within. Justification has to do with our standing before God's law, but adoption has to do with our relationship with God as our father. And in adoption, we are given many of the greatest blessings uh, that we will ever know for eternity. John 3, 1 reads, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So now, uh, this brings us to the privileges of adoption, and, and there are many. First, we are able to speak to God and relate to Him as a loving Father. Matthew 6, 9 instructs us to pray, Our Father in heaven. While in Galatians 4, 7, we are to realize that we are no longer a slave, but a son. God even gives us an eternal witness from the Holy Spirit that causes us instinctively to call God our Father. Romans 8, uh, 15 and 16 reads, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, secondly, because God relates to us as, as, as a father, we are shown very clearly that he loves us and that he understands us. Another privilege of adoption is that he cares for our needs. He gives us many gifts. More privileges. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit 
to comfort us and to empower us for ministry and for living a Christian life. Again, another privilege. He, he gives us a great inheritance in heaven because we have become joint heirs with Christ. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. And we see that in Romans 8, 17. Now I want to come back to, the, uh, uh, to this blessing and privilege in a bit. Uh, uh, another privilege is that angels are even now sent to minister to us and serve us. And we see this in Hebrews 1.14. This is exciting, these privileges. Yet another privilege is that we are being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us in daily decisions and puts us in, uh, in us a desire to obey God and to live according to His will. Romans 8.14 reads, All that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, a privilege uh, sometimes not recognized uh, as such is the blessing of God's discipline. Through God's discipline, we grow in righteousness and in holiness. His discipline uh, should cause us to seek after holiness, without which Scripture tells us no man can see the Lord. Uh, we should all of us seek ardently the kind of life, uh, uh, the result of adoption, that reflects the beauty of Jesus and marks us as being what saints ought to be. As adopted children, we have the privilege of sharing both in his sufferings and in his uh, subsequent glory. Romans 8.17 reads, uh, in part, If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, get this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let me read that again. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9 reads, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. To suffer for the faith is, is not a penalty. It is a privilege. My friends, we can be comforted knowing that the Lord God goes uh, with us through our sufferings and according to his grace. He awaits us as we emerge on the other side of our tribulations and uh, of our testing. When suffering comes, we must learn to trust each day uh, and to put into each day into God's hands. We must let our lips be filled with prayer and with praise. We must recognize that our sufferings, though they may seem hard to bear, they will teach us lessons which in turn equip and enable us to be a witness to others. Nowhere does the Bible teach that Christians are to be exempt from uh, trials and from tribulation. 
Now, in addition uh, to uh, these great privileges that concern our relationship to God and fellowship with Him, we also have privileges of adoption that affect the way that we relate to each other and affect our own personal conduct. Because we are God's children, our relationship with each other is far deeper and more intimate than the relationship uh, than for angels, for example, uh, have to one another. We are all members of one family. And many, many times the New Testament refers to Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can also add here uh, uh, many verses in which uh, entire churches are referred to as brothers. Romans 1.13, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.8. Now, these should not be understood to refer to the men in the congregation only, but are rather generic references to the whole church, and except where the context explicitly indicates otherwise, should be taken to mean brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, the designation brother is so common in the epistles that it seems to be uh, the predominant way in which the New Testament uh, authors refer to other Christians to whom they are writing. Uh, this indicates uh, the strong consciousness uh, they had of the nature of the church as a family of God. In fact, Paul tells Timothy to relate to the church at Ephesus and to the individuals within the church as he would relate to members of a large family. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 reads, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. This concept of the church as God's family should give us a new perspective on the work of the church, uh, that it is a family work, and the various members of the family uh, never should compete with one another or hinder one another in their efforts, but should encourage one another and be thankful for whatever good or whatever progress comes to any member of the family. Why? Because they are all contributing to the good of the family and the honor of God our Father. In fact, just as members of an earthly family often have times of joy and fellowship when they work together, let's say on a single project, so our times of working together and building up the church ought to be times of great joy and fellowship with one another. Uh, just as members of an earthly family honor their parents and fulfill the purpose of a family most when they, are, uh, when they eagerly welcome uh, any brothers and sisters who are newly adopted into that family, so we ought to welcome new members of the family of Christ eagerly and with love. Another aspect of our uh, membership in God's family is that as God's children, we are to imitate our Father in heaven in all our conduct. Listen to what Paul says here in Ephesians 5.1. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Peter uh, says the same thing when he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And we find that in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. So you see, both Peter and Paul realized that it is natural for children to imitate their earthly fathers. And they appeal to this natural sense uh, that children have in order to remind us that we are to imitate our Heavenly Father 
Indeed, this should be something we naturally want to do and delight in. If God our Father in heaven is holy, we should be holy as obedient children. And then when we walk in paths of righteousness or, uh, or righteous conduct, uh, by our obedience, we honor our Heavenly Father and we bring glory to Him. When we act in a way that is pleasing to God, we are to do so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 Again, Paul encouraged the Philippians to maintain pure conduct before unbelievers, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as light in the world. Philippians 2.15 Indeed, uh, there's a consistent pattern of moral conduct is, is also evidence that we are truly children of God. 1 John uh, 3.10 says, by this, uh, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now I'd like to uh, make uh, one more connection as I talked about earlier uh, concerning privileges of being a, uh, a, a children of God, a son or daughter of God. And uh, that's the privilege uh, of eternal security. Now basically, uh, eternal security is based on the grace of God and the fact that eternal life is a gift and it is eternal. When a person believes in Christ, he is brought into a relationship with the Godhead that assures his salvation is secure. Let me read that uh, uh, to you one more time because this is, um, uh, we're, we're talking about serving a triune God. All right? When a person believes in Christ, he is brought into a relationship with the Godhead, the triune God, that assures his salvation is secure. Now, of course, uh, this is only true of born-again people. Uh, there are those who profess, uh, but do not possess life, sadly. And sometimes, you know, we can make a reasonably uh, sure judgment as to whether uh, an individual uh, only um, professes or, or actually uh, possesses eternal life. Sometimes we cannot. But the regenerated person's salvation is secure because of the relationship to God that he has through faith. So uh, let me go through here the three aspects of this. Uh, first, uh, as, it re as it relates to the Father, uh, his purpose. God purposed to glorify the same group that he predestined, called, and justified, Romans 8.30. And this daring statement cannot be made if any one of that group could lose his salvation. If so, then the ones whom he justified would not be the same number as the ones he glorified. But the text says that they will be the same. According to uh, the Father's power. Uh, most would agree that God's power is able to keep the believer. Uh, and, it is, and it is in uh, Jude 24. But some would argue that it can be thwarted by a person renouncing his faith. But the Lord said that we are secure in his hand and the Father's hand 
uh, and that no one can seize the believer uh, from the safe position. No one means no one, including the individual himself. The promise does not say that no one except yourself can seize the believer out of God's hand. It says no one. Now, uh, our, our secure, uh, security of a believer as related to the Son. Well, we start with his death. Paul asked two questions in Romans 8.33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? And who condemns them? His answer, that no one can, is based on the death, resurrection, intercession, and advocacy of Christ. If any sin can undo a believer's salvation, and if in fact he can lose that salvation, then get this, then Christ's death did not pay for that sin. But it did, and Paul asserts, he asserts this, our Lord himself also declared that he would lose nothing of what the Father gave him, John 6, 39 and 40. Everyone who believes in him will be raised at the last day, and not everyone who believes, uh, I'm sorry, uh, not everyone who believes and perseveres. Well, the Son's prayers. Christ's present ministry in heaven of praying uh, for his own consists of two aspects. A preventive ministry, which is intercession, and a curative ministry, which is advocacy. His prayer in John 17 uh, illustrates the preventive aspect. There he prayed that we might be kept from the evil one, uh, verse 15. That we would be sanctified, verse 17. That we would be united, verse 21. That we would be in heaven with him, verse 24. Uh, that, he might, uh, that we might behold his glory, verse 24. Because of unce his unceasing intercession for us, he is able to save us completely and eternally. That's Hebrews 7.25. You see, advocacy comes into action when we sin. Uh, and we can see that in uh, 1 John 2 and 1. Again, if any sin can undo salvation, then Satan has an airtight case against any believer when he sins. He can justly demand uh, Christians' eternal damnation, and were it not for our advocate, we would be condemned. But the Lord points to his work on Calvary that removes the guilt of our sins, those committed before and after salvation, and this suffices uh, to answer uh, any charge from Satan. Now, reasons uh, related to the Holy Spirit. Well, first of all, he regenerates. If we are born again by the Spirit uh, when we believe, then if we can renounce our faith to lose our salvation, we would uh, have to have the new birth taken away as well. Uh, secondly, the Holy Spirit indwells. If salvation can be lost, then the presence of the Spirit within the life of the believer would uh, have to be removed. The Christian uh, would become uh, 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 not able to uh, have the uh, indwelling of the Spirit. In fact, uh, the Holy Spirit would leave, would leave him. Uh, the Spirit baptizes. The Spirit joins the believer to the body of Christ when he believes. Uh, we see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Therefore, if salvation can be lost, the Christian would have to be detached from the body of Christ. 
again, uh, the Holy Spirit, he seals. The Spirit seals the believer until the day of redemption. And we see this in Ephesians 4.30. If salvation can be lost, then his uh, sealing would not be until the day of redemption, but only until uh, the day of sinning or apostasy or disbelief. Of course, uh, Scripture gives no hint uh, that a Christian can lose the new birth or that he can be... Uh, uh, that he can lose his salvation, or that he can be removed from the body of Christ, uh, or be unsealed. Salvation is eternal and completely secured to all who believe. Now, to be sure, <clears throat> uh, believers sin and are warned against false profession and uh, Christian immaturity. But God never takes back the gift of his salvation once it is received. Believers will not always persevere in godliness, Peter did not. Uh, 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 many Ephesian believers did not. Uh, Lot did not. Uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, there will be some whose works will be burned and who will be saved as through fire. Uh, even though every believer will bear some fruit, it is difficult, if not impossible, to quantify how much or what kind each one will bear and thus to make judgments as to the spiritual condition of an individual. Uh, but uh, I just want to repeat that a, 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 a wonderful privilege of being uh, a child of God is uh, our eternal security. Amen to that. So at this point, uh, I want to ask just a couple questions here uh, that uh, Dr. Grudem uh, uh, penned. Uh, questions for personal application. Uh, the first one is, look back over the list of privileges that come with our adoption as God's children. Had you previously thought of these as automatically yours because you have been born again? Can you describe what our eternal life would be like if we had regeneration and justification and many of the other privileges that come with salvation, but no adoption into God's family? Another question, do you sense the Holy Spirit within you bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? And can you describe uh, what that sense is like? Well, we've talked about many privileges uh, associated with uh, being a, a child of God. And I would just like to say that it's been my privilege uh, to uh, share uh, with you uh, in this uh, podcast and uh, I'd like to uh, finish by reading uh, a portion of scripture and this is from Romans chapter 8 uh, one of my favorite uh, chapters in all of scripture and I'm going to start in verse 14 and it reads uh, thusly for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, re be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we did not know uh, what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know uh, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, blessings, my friends, and uh, uh, we'll be talking again.